happens when that bass crashes in. You know it's time to begin, and wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, oh man, we're so glad you've chosen to tune into DLC, your downloadable commentary for the week. DLC is delivered the way we love it to be, and that is completely free, thanks to our sponsors this week, which include Cashfly, the best CDN in the business. They are responsible for all of the bandwidth on all of the shows on 5x5. You can check them out by visiting cashfly.com. That's C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com. We urge you to do that. And also Squarespace. Squarespace! They are bringing the show to you this week and making the show possible. DLC, of course, the show all about games in their many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. And also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who is uh, joining Peyton Manning in announcing his retirement, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, Jeff. Yeah, this is going to be my last um, show, my last DLC of the week of March 6th. Well so um, yeah. it's, been a, it's been a great ride. It's been a great week. Yeah, it's been a really great week, and I look forward to um, riding off into the sunset and doing all the illegally banned sports performance drugs I want. <laughs> uh, all right. We ha- oh, man, I am so excited. This week we have a, a huge show. There's big news. I have some awesome stuff in my playlist that I can't wait to talk about, including No Man's Sky I got hands on with. Uh, and we have a great guest joining us. Uh, it's our old buddy who's I think he's a member of the Five Timers Club by this point, probably far beyond that. But he's getting a new monica, monocle, moniker, one of those things. We're going to give him a monocle as well, but we're going to give him a new <laughs> moniker. Uh, you know the DLC is always your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, we are excited because we have Destiny's longstanding champion, Mr. Anthony Taormina is back with us. Do, 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 do. I'm here to tell you guys all about Bungie. Bungie is my savior. <laughs> did you create your own bumper intro, Anthony? I did. <laughs> I, I welcome I did. new bumper intros. I think new bumper. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. Yes, I am Destiny's longstanding champion. I Destiny fanboy. Love Destiny. Still playing it. Still putting the time in. Are you excited for Destiny two? Uh, yes. I mean, you think of this course. Should be, we should have a number two. We should have a, a numbered sequel to Destiny. Uh, whatever, whatever breaking point they need to put on it so that we don't have last gen, I'm fine with. If right. it's Destiny 2, whatever, I'm excited. Fair enough. Okay, guys, um, I, I want to jump right into the show because we we have we have lots to talk about this week. It's 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 a juicy week, so let's get right into it with story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story of the week. Story of the week. It's the story. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories using our hashtag on Twitter. That's hashtag DLCSOTW. Got a ton of submissions this week. I thank you guys all for that. We appreciate it. Uh, you can also hit us up on the subreddit, which is getting a lot more action as well, over at uh, uh, 5x5dlc.reddit.com. Um, and also, hey, give us your feedback. We've been getting great emails. I'll read some this week as well by uh, sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. It's the best way to get a hold of us and throw in your two cents on the show. We're still not 
doing the show live like we used to, uh, and we are working on trying to get that back. I apologize to all the live listeners that used to enjoy that. We we did too. We're trying to get it back, so uh, stay tuned for announcements in that area. But until then, DLC at uh, DLCfeedback at gmail.com. All right, guys. Anthony, uh, you are our guest. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Uh, well, heading into this, I had a, a surefire story of the week. But then this morning, yeah, Microsoft, announced, Microsoft announced that Fable Legends is canceled. Uh, and they're proposing, quote unquote, a, uh, a closure of Lionhead Studios, the fable developer yes. peter molyneux's old studio big news in my opinion uh kind of shocking news well the not worst the- kind of proposal ever Dear not Lionhead, will you please <laughs> yeah. shut your doors will yeah. you make I- me the happiest man in the world <laughs> by never doing anything ever again oh man it's sad you know we 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 uh friend of the show uh david um eckleberry who's been our uh, on uh, talking about the development of Fable Legends. He's one of the developers of Fable Legends. Uh, I reached out to him this morning. I'm, I'm wishing him the best. <clears throat> uh, obviously, it's a, it's a sad day for everybody there. Um, I, I, you know, we, I was very excited about this game, having had hands on at E3. I thought it looked really good, but evidently Microsoft thought otherwise. Uh, what is your reaction to this, Anthony? Um, to, be, to be honest, I've, I've played... Uh, Fable Legends in a in a few iterations at at E threes and uh, Comic Cons and stuff, and it it never struck me as my type of game. It was interesting. I I think there are some people that said, you know, this is this is a bad game or whatever, and I I don't think that is true. Um, I I don't consider it a, a type of game that deserved to be canceled, but I do think that, um, as far as Fable Legends, it had two things working against it. it working against it it was one of those asymmetrical games when asymmetrical games were really popular uh with evolve and everything but then evolve came out and kind of went away yeah and the other thing is it's not the fable game that people want you know when it's it's the equivalent of like announcing a new halo and then saying oh but it's halo wars not to say halo wars is bad but you know they it was Instead of Fable Three, we got, or instead of Fable Four, we got Fable: The Journey, and then we got Fable Legends. And everyone's wondering why aren't they just making like a proper Fable game? So, them announcing the cancellation of the game isn't necessarily surprising, as it is them saying we're going to propose we just like shut down the studio that's been, you know, a, a very important marker in in game development for a really long time. That's that's more shocking to me than the game being canceled. Well, I think the game being canceled is pretty shocking in the sense that they had planned an open beta this spring, which is, you know, a, a month or so away. They had uh, made a big deal of it being one of the very first cross-platform titles on both uh, Windows 10 and Xbox One. They had talked about it being free-to-play, which sort of was their big uh, entry into that kind of distribution model on Xbox One. So I think there was a lot of, it it seemed like Microsoft had a lot of confidence in the title, uh, kind of making a big deal about it on those levels. So to me, that was pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, the idea that they're closing Lionhead, uh, I think the idea, the reason that it's announced as a proposal is that the way UK laws work, in order to have mass layoffs, you have to sort of do it this way. Um, But it, it, it looks like, for all intents and purposes, they're firing everybody and closing that studio, which to me is 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 amazing and sad. 
Uh, does that mean we're not getting any more Fable games or does Fable get given to another publisher at this point uh, to create a sort of mainline Fable game or reboot the franchise in some way? Um, also buried here is is the fact that Lionhead isn't the only UK studio or isn't the only European sh- studio, I should say. Uh, Press Play Studios in Denmark is also uh, being shuttered. And they were working on a, a game called Project Knoxville, which is being canceled as well. So Microsoft making some big moves. Christian, what do you think about this? Yeah, like you mentioned, David has been on the show and has always been, you know, awesome to hang out with and chat at conventions and just online and, you know, uh, heartfelt thoughts to him and everyone involved in all, both of these studios and these changes. And um, I, I feel like, too, this was a surprise to them on march 4th lionhead tweeted about uh going to innovate g4 uh march 12th so you know at some point someone in their social media department at least was you know planning and excited for the future and then to have this drop down on you come i guess it's what monday evening there in the uk right now when as we're recording this is tough and i also think everybody mismanages Everyone has mismanaged uh, IPs and, you know, we had Batman Forever as a film. Like, bad things are made of beloved properties. But I feel like Microsoft has a pretty atrocious track record right now in the games department for uh, fabled, no pun intended, storied developers um, and then not doing much with them after a point where Rare has been in a lull, I feel like, for a while. Um, Lionhead... You know, I feel like who knows the the reason behind it, but many gamers thought they weren't being used to their full potential. And um, oh man, what was the uh, original crackdown? Um, oh the, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm not thinking whatever about that, but that developer. developer, and then the Halo Wars developer of, of yours. Like they put together these teams or acquire these teams, and then I don't know. It, it 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 sucks. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. It does suck, and again, our, our our thoughts are with all the people that are losing their jobs, and it's it's a pretty pretty sad sad moment. Um, I you know I don't know what else to add there. I'm I'm hoping that we can uh, you know hear more in the coming weeks. I, again, as Anthony said, this is sort of happening this morning, so we just we're just hearing about it now. Uh, and I kind of agree with you, Anthony, also that you know as much as putting a fable label on on a a new game it could sort of increase its standing increase its its exposure level and people take notice of it because like oh it's a fable game i wonder if it was more of a curse putting the you know putting fable on the title uh and just not having this be a completely new ip and a new kind of game if it would have improved things i don't know i don't know i i had fun playing it when i played it but uh, we don't know what the state of the game was at this point so certainly something from Microsoft made them believe that they didn't want to put it out. Um, Christian, how about you? What, what is your uh, story of the week? Well, I'm waffling between two. So I'm going to, I'm going to pick one play by the rules that everybody has to play by, except for you, Jeff. Yeah, um, <laughs> but if we don't get to the other one, I will bring it up before we leave the, uh, leave the segment to me. It's the continued um, closure of E3. It seems like we're now Activision, Disney and Wargaming have joined EA and dropped out of their E3 floor booth, which really, you know, when you think about E3 and what it does and what it's supposed to do and the way that the popularity of Nintendo directs and things like that isn't entirely shocking. I imagine 
They'll still have hotel space for behind closed door demos of things that they want to show to press or to retailers. But I mean, of while Activision and Disney are two of the bigger names that listeners might know or, or casual fans of gaming uh, as well, to me, Wargaming dropping out is like, I mean, they had like four tanks <laughs> there. Yeah, you know, they had the biggest booths at E3 in the last couple of years, yeah. Yeah, like, the Matrix. You could do the Matrix uh, photo thing with the tank in the air and get the like 360. I think that was last year. Yeah, that was awesome. Is it last year too? I mean, I think it was three years ago when they literally had like two tanks outside, one crushing another, and then a tank in like a Mustang uh, fighter jet, like hanging from the ceiling. And it's just like this company has gone all in, and now they're saying, "Well, we're a digital download company. A retail-oriented show doesn't make sense." So at some point, you know, their bean counters or someone was like, we don't need this. We're done. And uh, I think it's showing of what E3 is or wants to be and and where we are with being able to control your own announcements any time of the year. Yeah, we talked about this when uh, EA first announced that they weren't going to be there. And it seemed like a big deal then. But this sort of domino effect that's happened uh, where this week, as you said, Activision, Disney, and Wargaming all announced it. And I think that that quote that you just mentioned from Wargaming is is pretty telling in the sense that, you know, E3 traditionally has been a way for gaming companies to reach out to retailers and say, hey, here's our upcoming slate to tell me what you want to buy, you know, set up your, your buying schedule for what you're going to have in your store, which, you know, big displays you're going to have for which games and how that's all going to work. And as things are moving to a more digital distribution model, and certainly Wargaming calls this out explicitly, they don't need that. There's no desire for that. There's no no need for it. So uh, they feel like they don't need to spend the money. But I think more than that, it's this sort of feeling that they don't need the press because E3 has become the way for press to see things early and disseminate that information to people. But now, you know, Nintendo has shown they can have Nintendo directs. They can have this sort of Nintendo treehouse philosophy of just, Hey, we don't need a a press. We have ways to get our message out. And I think that's more what these companies are seeing is for example, you know, with EA, they're going to have the public play the stuff that only the press was able to play previously. And and I think some of this other stuff is going to happen that way too. Disney's doing that where it'll be, they'll have this sort of private event that's open to the public that, the press will get to come to, but so will a lot of people that'll just be tweeting and Facebook posting and and periscoping or whatever. Uh, so it, it becomes a completely decentralized way to get your message out. And maybe there doesn't need to be one week in the year where all the news happens. Maybe we can just spread it all out. Anthony, do you think this could be a good thing for gamers in the end? Uh, for gamers, I, I think that... Um... I think E3 has kind of been moving towards a thing that's pro gamers for, for a while now. Um, you know, as somebody who works in the press, it, it, it may be moving away from me and kind of making me obsolete and, and what I like to do at E3 obsolete. But I think this is just moving further and further towards um, a situation where you see, and it's, you have the opportunity to see and play nearly everything that is available at E3 super quickly with whether it's with betas and whatnot. So, you know, the, the press conferences, the footage, you know, there's, 
there's fewer and fewer behind closed doors presentations that just nobody sees, you know, like a few years back, we had the Bioshock infinite thing that everybody went crazy for. And I did too. And then a a couple weeks later, they just released the whole demo online. And so everybody basically saw what everybody saw. So looking at it now, it, it kind of seems, seems like the, the E3, utility for press is you get to go hands-on with the game and say you know here's what the game played like or it's an opportunity to have all these press already out here they've flown out on their own company's dime or their own dime and they can kind of prepare coverage ahead of time you know they can show them stuff that oh you can't talk about it in terms of e3 but in a month or two you can say oh well i also played the call of duty multiplayer and here's my preview of that but as far as like in the moment e3 stuff i think we're moving closer and closer to a situation where e3 is just a twitch stream right yeah um i think at this point i I can foresee a future for sure where it's just a series of blizz cons it's just a series of quake cons you know every company does its sort of fan focused announcement show in a different part of the year and you know, you get to see you you have an opportunity to buy a ticket. You have an opportunity to watch it streamed live. They make all their big announcements. Uh, the fans are excited. There's some hands-on stuff. There's some cool demos. If you come in person, you get to do hands-on. I think BlizzCon really is the model going forward that a lot of these companies can use, especially the big publishers. Uh, and it makes money for Blizzard. You know, it's a positive thing all around for them. They get to control their message 100%. They don't have to worry about funneling it through press, uh, and they get to talk directly to their to their fans. I think from a gamer's perspective, it's an exciting thing because it's like, oh, there's no gatekeepers anymore. But from a sort of critical, um, uh, you know, uh, deciding on on what has merit and what does not, you know, from somebody advocating for the consumer rather than just sort of being a consumer. Uh, I think it's, it's a step backwards. Well, I think it's like, part of me loves when this kind of stuff happens, right. Where, you know, technology is allowing us to work from home more, or, you know, heaven forbid, get cars off the road, or we don't need to have all these people traveling everywhere because we can sit in our VR helmets and whatever, you know, watch the Twitch stream or do whatever. And I I love that access and opening things up to more people. But the other side of the coin for me is um, the Netflix fallout to some extent, like when Netflix became an online streaming thing, it wasn't just discs in the mail. It was like, this is awesome. Uh, every studio, it seemed like gave them, you know, huge back catalogs. Everything was on Netflix. You would watch Netflix. And then everyone realized kind of the way, uh, my opinion, in my opinion, Apple did with the iTunes music store, you know, every music publishing group was giving Apple all of their songs. And then they were like, holy moly, Apple controls everything. We're locked at this 99 cent price point. Uh, No. (laughs) And you had the revolt. And so now you have, you know, back to the Netflix analogy, it's Netflix, uh, HBO, Amazon, Hulu, Crackle has exclusives. um, And like finding where things are is almost more of a pain or also getting above the noise. Like um, what's that? Oh, Bosch. Is that the name of the, the it's like Adam the Amazon Bosch. yeah, cop show. Great show. Apparently season two is out and has been out for a month. I had no, <laughs> no idea because I hadn't opened up that my Amazon prime app in a while because I'm done with transparent until it comes back. Uh, and so now we have all, that mad dogs, bro. I haven't watched that. See That's again, so good. 
again, <laughs> you're illustrating my point more so. Or like, did you watch Love on Netflix? When was that out? Who knows? It's, you know, so much stuff is able to come out and everybody's competing for the same go 90, CISO, comedy, whatever, like pay this thing, do this thing, get this thing. And at some point you're like, holy crap, man, I got the PlayStation experience, the Microsoft box of joy, the Nintendo treehouse party, BlizzCon, QuakeCon, all this stuff coming out. And while the biggest, loudest horns will get blasted and you'll hear about Call of Duty or whatever, you know, would Unravel get time anywhere or Ori or um, uh, Kerbal Space Programmer. I mean, I guess they're still packed, but it's my fear is of this huge decentralization. A lot of stuff gets lost, whereas before you were really able to dig in and dive in one week. Yeah. And now I don't know if that will happen. Hopefully that made some sense. It makes sense to me, but I, I realize I might have done a bad job explaining it. I think that from from our perspective, um, this makes our jobs harder. If you know, if if our job is yeah, to go I to E three and and report on stuff, it it makes it a nightmare. <laughs> uh, but I think from a gamers average gamers perspective, it's probably a pretty positive thing. I, I'm ex- I'm very curious to see how this year is going to work out, but I'm also very scared of running all across town to try to see everything instead of just going to one spot. My, my one concern is, is this not emblematic of E3 going somewhere or is this emblematic of what's going to happen in the next 12 months in that a lot of people just don't have games ready. They don't have anything to show, you know, they don't have, they're, they're pulling out of E3, not because they see that E3 is not as valuable as it once was, or they're like, well, we don't want to spend X amount of dollars because we don't have X amount of games. We only have, you know, five less games, you know, like Activision pulling out. Is that because Activision only has call of duty and destiny anymore? Or, well, you know, that's what, that's what concerns me is like, are we going to be in a continued drought of like, please, I need some PS4 and Xbox one games, please. It's interesting. I don't know. I, I didn't read it that way, but um, it'll be interesting to see if, I mean, I feel like there's more, to play than ever but maybe it's just because stuff is deeper and takes longer to play than ever um i I mean my question like for example what's the big fall release of this year gears of war on the microsoft side yeah Uh, and and we don't know on sony side uh, maybe be a god of war but i would assume that would be an e3 announcement you know like that's usually where we get those big announcements but who knows um interesting uh i think you guys uh really missed the 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 biggest story of the week. I mean, I think those are all excellent stories and very juicy, but I think the for me the clear story of the week is uh Tim Sweeney of Epic coming out and speaking really vehemently against Microsoft and their plans to have this unified Windows platform. So he uh, Tim Sweeney uh, of Epic Games uh, who you know has had a very friendly relationship with Microsoft over the years he had Gears of War as a exclusive on their platform and has been uh, you know a big part of the success of of the Xbox over the years he came out and wrote an opinion piece in the Guardian that basically ripped into Microsoft for trying to in his in his words monopolized the platform and create this closed platform within a platform with uh, the uh, unified Windows platform. So the idea here is Microsoft wants to 
create a, a, a an easy way for developers to put out games on every Windows-based platform. So you write the game once, and then they have tools that convert it to Windows Phone, Xbox One, Windows 10, anything that contains a Windows platform, you, you have this easy way to distribute your game or your piece of software across multiple platforms. And from a consumer's perspective, this is really great because the idea that uh, more things are su- supported on more devices, it makes porting things from other programming languages really simple and fast from develop- for developers. So you're going to get more stuff on your platform of choice. And if it comes out on PC, there's no reason why it won't come out on these other platforms. Uh, I think that's a really cool thing. Unfortunately, uh, Tim Sweeney points out that married to that is this idea that this software that is delivered with the unified Windows platform will also be delivered through the Windows Store. And his anticipation is that uh, it will only be allowed to be sold through the Windows Store and that as uh, UWP starts to be supported more, Win32, which is how games are built now that are distributed through Steam and GOG and all kinds of other places will have uh, less and less support, and there will be new features that are only available through UWP, which will incentivize developers to only develop things on UWP. And then when they can only put them out on the Windows Store, it will create a monopoly on the Windows Store. It will force people to buy things only through the Windows Store. And all of a sudden, people have to pay to be on the Windows Store, and you have a closed iTunes-esque system where, you know, Apple approves everything that's on their store. He thinks this is the, the a very bad thing for the PC market because PCs have been traditionally very open, the most open platform. Microsoft responded and said that uh, they want UWP to be a fully open ecosystem available to every developer. And that uh, when Sweeney was talking about forcing people to go through uh, the Windows Store and not being able to not download things through the Windows Store, or at least having huge effort to not download things through the Windows Store, that there was a recent November update to Windows 10 that fixed that and made things easier. You don't have to sideload apps, etc. Very dense story here. Uh, I'm not really sure who to believe exactly on, on the level of closed to open of this this new platform, but clearly it would be in Microsoft's interest to create an Apple-esque one-stop shop where they get all the monies instead of letting Steam have the monies and GOG and all those other places. So I can understand Tim Sweeney's concern in that sense. Anthony, uh, what is your take on this very big story? Um, as far as I think that Tim Sweeney would what he's doing if i if i were to read between the lines it's a it's it's a a situation where he's saying i'm going to you know paint a picture the most dire picture of what microsoft could do for this platform and i'm going to put them in check and i'm going to get them to respond like they did and and assure people so that they actually like have some assurances that this is not going to happen i for all intents and purposes, what what Microsoft has been trying to do with the PC market is is catch up to everybody else, is to get more standardized, is to get people to look at them and see, okay, well, this is an option for me in my PC gaming. So I think the 
the last thing they would want to do is do anything to draw negative stigma attached to their PC market. I do think that there are concerns over that stuff. And I would not be surprised if you heard horror stories, you know, in a couple of years, but I, I, I truly believe that this is more a, a case of somebody saying like, look, this may seem good at, at first, but here's how it can be exploited. I'm going to put it out there. Microsoft's going to need to respond. You're going to, everybody's going to be aware of it and we're all going to know of the concerns, but, I think ultimately Microsoft will be smart about changing things. Like you've said, they've um, introduced updates to make things better and not necessarily make them more restrictive. Who says that if this whole PC experiment doesn't work out, that they might just revert to this horror story of, you know, having Apple esque control. But at this point, like Microsoft is, is, trailing behind everybody and i would think that the last thing that they would want to do is uh pull a move that basically you know kills them before they even get go get really going because they have some games coming out that are supposed to be cross-platform with pc and xbox one and i think the last thing they would want to do is have people say well i'm just not going to play that game then well you say that, but they've done that numerous times in the past. I mean, the whole Games for Windows initiative, they shot themselves on the foot. They, you know, it was stillborn because of bad decisions. And, and certainly they they have a record of doing that. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them is what I say, but I think yeah. I take your point. Um, Christian, is there any universe in which this is a good thing? I mean, we like Apple, right? Everybody likes Apple and likes their standards and, and the fact that when you download a an app from the from iTunes, you know it's going to work. I think it's a a <laughs> uh, yes, <laughs> but I feel like Apple has always been that, and the the PC flag has always been freedom and able to tinker and tweak and do whatever. So I think you are going to hear and see a large blowback if Microsoft really doubles down on this type of closed ecosystem um, front. And they've certainly tried to do it before uh, with various levels of success. And But at the same time, you know, what obligation does Microsoft have to its consumers? None, other than that they want to keep them and, and get more and make more money. So I think the question that they're kind of trying to answer is, if we create this unified storefront, will we do more, a better job at attracting a broader consumer base while angering some of our hardcore dedicated fans that you know have pc super rigs and have been gaming for forever but will they woo me in for example someone who can play games on pc but i'm not prone to do it because of uh you know where you where you buy it how are you and running an nvidia works thing to optimize it tinkering like i'm not a tinkerer um that said while i have enjoyed countless hours on microsoft video games and, and things that they have developed and used their software for forever, it feels like. And no ill will to any of the people working on this stuff, but I just don't... At this point, I don't think they know what they're doing. Uh, you mentioned games for Windows. There was something else that was in there. You know, across across their devices, the Microsoft Kin phone, Windows phones, which apparently are very competent, but just blundered. The Xbox One launch being what it was and then backtracked on the xbox 360 rebranding with connect and games are going to be better with connect and what did they spend a billion dollars 500 million dollars on advertising that thing and 
not really coming up with any real competent uses for it. I, I feel like someone somewhere at Microsoft is very lost and they keep trying all of this stuff because they're like, hey, let's uh, let's do this thing and make gaming on PCs easier and more accessible and we can get it on all our devices. And then they run with it. This is a really good idea. I think think this is a spectacularly good idea in the sense of having a unified way for developers to make one thing and have it work on multiple things. I think that's that's great. In theory, yes. But what does that what does that mean? You make one thing and then so you make a game that you can run on your congratulations for using it, by the way, your awesome new PC, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, you got this beautiful new PC. A uh, developer makes a game that you can run on that. And then Microsoft takes it and makes it so that I can play it on my Windows phone? Well, I, I mean, I don't think that's the exact same game on your Windows phone. But I, the idea is that converting it to these other devices is is very simple and fast. So that it's one set of, it, it's a unified code base that works and optimizes for multiple systems. So that's why I think we're going to see all of the big first-party Microsoft releases work on your PC, which I find very exciting as somebody who just invested in, in a new PC. Uh, I'm excited to have, to be able to crank up the settings and do better than my Xbox one would, would show for, for games that would normally be exclusive to a console. I think that's really cool. And to be able to have more support of more things across more devices, that's awesome. I don't, I don't see the downside there. The downside of course, is if they force people to to use their store to sell those things. And that's what Sweeney is pushing back against. Oh, right. Yes, I totally agree. But then there are also other unknowns. You know, what are the requirements that go into using their backend code to make this thing work on the PC? And now how much, how many resources do you need to use? You know, you say, Oh, you're going to crank it up on PC to make it look better. Well, what if you were making um, gears of war for, and you're optimizing it for the Xbox One, and you have a beautiful-looking game for the Xbox, and then Microsoft is like, hey, by the way, we're doing this thing, and now we have to spend a year making even higher-res art assets, or you release the exact same game on PC, and you have the PC fans out there saying it's a crappy port. Like, I I agree, and I'm trying not to be negative Nancy on this. Like, the possibilities are cool, but Microsoft's track record for support, uh, and, and especially on the PC gaming side of things, and then also in the gaming side of things, uh, isn't great. <laughs> so I go into this with a big, big bag of salt. Any, any other thoughts, Anthony, on this? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to, uh, I, I actually had made a decision that I was going to try quantum break on the PC and see how, how that experience is. And then we'll see if that's good. Um, you know, I might, I might be more willing to accept what they're doing and and um, approach it with a little more uh, or a little less trepidation. But as of right now, I am I am kind of like Christian uh, as far as like you know it it this could be bad, this could be real bad, and and I could be a concern. But for now, I'm willing to wait and see. I think I think gamers are going to stick with Steam for the most part, and. Um... It'll, I think it would take a Herculean effort to get anybody to get that sort of community to switch over to a new store and a new ecosystem. Um, and certainly I think with Sweeney and Epic Games making such a public stink about it, I think it will force Microsoft to sort of pivot as they already have in their press release and saying, hey, we have these tools to make it easy so you can use any store. Um, I think 
ultimately, you know, I applaud Tim Sweeney for speaking out for what he believes in. And I, and I think it's actually going to affect change here. Uh, and I think ultimately what's going to happen is, is we will be able to play these things without having to use the, the Microsoft exclusive ecosystem, but also the benefit of having the UWP will, will work out well for gamers. So I'm, I'm optimistic that we'll get the best of both worlds here, but maybe that's just my sort of silver lining, rosy outlook. Uh, Can I also just say before we get to the end of 2016 um, that I was right and Microsoft at least announced or teased the idea of new Xbox hardware this year? Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I predicted that for last year and was wrong. But yeah, this they, they're talking about having upgradable Xbox One bits and bobs so you can actually upgrade it like a PC, uh, which is crazy. I think it's so interesting to me as somebody who's you know been around a while and remembers very, very clearly the first Xbox launch and uh, the great pains that Microsoft took to make sure everybody <laughs> knew it wasn't just a PC in a box. Heaven forbid we were putting out a PC in the console space. Here we are, you know, however many years later, 10, 15 years later, and they're saying, uh, <laughs> oh yeah, no, we want it to be a PC in a box. <laughs> so it's, you know, the, play, the perception has changed. Um, let me uh, take a second and thank our sponsor. Uh, we are very fortunate to be sponsored by Squarespace. I'm always pleased when Squarespace sponsors the show because uh, I use them myself and I can wholeheartedly vouch for how great a service Squarespace is. Uh, I built my website, uh, jeffcanada.com on it. Uh, and I find it to be the best, easiest way to make any kind of online presence. Really, truly, I have recommended this to family members who are like, I need a website for a thing. Just go to Squarespace. It's so simple. You don't have to have any kind of coding experience, but the tools are really powerful and they allow you to make something that doesn't look dumb. It looks beautiful. It looks interesting. It looks unique. It doesn't look like a plug and play thing, even though how you do it is very much plug and play. It's what you see is what you get. You drag and drop something. You you make it like you're you know editing a, a picture. It's very simple, very, very simple. Uh, and it comes out looking great and it works across uh, any kind of mobile device or PC or Mac. It, it, it's, it's optimized for every device. You can sell stuff on a website with just a drag and drop plugin of a storefront. It makes it so easy to sell things if you need to do that. But anything you need it for, a portfolio, uh, uh, any website, it's great. Also, it's inexpensive. It's very, very inexpensive. And we're going to help you out with that too. We're going to give you 10% off your first purchase. What you can do is go to squarespace.com slash DLC and you can check out their tools. You can build the website that you want using their tools. You don't even have to put a credit card in. They'll let you use it for free, completely try it out, build it, make sure you like it. If you've got something that you like and you want to use, then what you do is you put in our promo code and uh, check out and you get 10% off. So that'll be great. All you got to use do is use our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E. You go to squarespace.com slash DLC, build your site, use Jeff sent me when you check out, you get 10% off your first purchase. You'll be super happy. I, I really, I really feel confident in recommending Squarespace to anybody because it's so simple and they've been around for a long time. They, their sites just don't go down. It's phenomenal. Squarespace.com slash DLC and that promo code Jeff sent me. Uh, another late breaking news item this morning, guys. Uh, there was a press release that came out from Valve saying at GDC they're going to debut The Lab, which is a uh, a new Aperture Science game set in the Aperture Science world. They say it's a uh, 
a sort of offshoot alternate universe. Uh, and it sounds like it's a series of VR mini games. But if the uh, Aperture Science Vive demo that I've played uh, at various events is any indication, this is going to be very, very cool. Uh, anybody that downloaded the uh, the Steam VR test program got a sneak peek or a glimpse into what that Aperture demo was because they used that as the benchmark to find out if your PC is, is powerful enough to have Vive. So you kind of can see what that is. I mean, you don't get the effect of it being in VR, which is so impressive, but uh, I am thrilled about this. We've talked for a long time about why is there no Valve-exclusive Vive launch title here is a basically a launch title. They're going to give it away for free on Steam. We're going to see more of it at GDC. I'm going to be going to GDC, so you'll hear me uh, talk at length about this and a lot of other stuff in the coming weeks. But um, I think this is great. I, I, are, is there any trepidation about this, Anthony? Are you worried that it's just a series of mini games and not like a full portal game or Half Life game? Uh, what's your What's your uh, I, I do think that I, I think it's you know it's a step towards that. It's a step of it's it's what a lot of the VR games are right now. They're, they're ways for people to see the different ways you can use VR to create a more immersive experience. So I think, I think this is super exciting because it means that they're, you know, they're already thinking, okay, aperture science combined with VR combined with the vibe. I think if this gets any sort of attention, which I'm sure it will, it'll get a, it'll get a lot of, uh, press just in terms of preview coverage, but I'm sure we'll see a lot of streamers having played it and saying like, you know, putting up their own footage of it. Obviously you can't see it in VR, but you'll see them messing around with it. That this is the stepping stone to a portal VR game, or at least I hope it is. And I'm, I mean, I'm all for that. That's uh, that, that seems to me, if you're going to say what, what experience would I want to see on the Vive specifically? I want to see valve make a portal game and put it in VR and I want to be able to look through portals in VR yeah, and like have my brain melt. <laughs> lean my head through a portal. Yeah. Let me, yeah, let me exactly. Um, yeah. I have an appointment with valve at GDC, so I'm, I'm very excited to see this. I, I, I can't wait. Um, I also have a, a VR experience to talk about in the playlist that makes me excited about full games in VR, but we'll get to that later. Uh, Christian, any, any reaction to this? This is great. It's just uh, a tease, right? I mean, it's, hard not to be excited about valve doing something for the VR system that they have backed and said is incredible. Um, you know, it says it demos like a whole room VR experience, which is like, Oh, great. No, <laughs> uh, I, I, I love their specific wordage. And I, I think this is probably uh, very much PR crafted, but I kind of dig it. They call it room scale VR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mark from marketing was on board for there. Sure. <laughs> uh, um, but it's exciting. I, I do wish it was, you know, portal, of course, that's what we all <laughs> wish it was or half-life three or something like that. But, uh, it's nice to see them throwing a little bit of weight behind the thing that they, that they made unlike a steam machine, you know, where it's kind of like, we're doing this thing. Uh, we'll do this thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the only downside is that it reinforces the refrain that I've heard from you and from others that uh, VR right now is just mini games, um, which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing, but I think people kind of look at that and remember the we and think of it as a negative and go, uh, you know, that, that proves to me that it's not for real because it's only these mini game experiences and they don't want to just be, you know, we bowling for the rest of their lives. 
Well, the Wii was also what two hundred and fifty bucks. Like mini games at max prices is the I think the the bigger issue. Yeah. Whereas if you have a standalone VR headset that you're buying for three hundred bucks that you get these experiences with, and that's your end all purchase, fine, dope. But when I have a fifteen hundred dollar TV or TV computer, and then an eight hundred dollar headset, and then I'm playing mini games, yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. I get it. I think you make a, a fair point. I, I I did hear somebody this week say that um, rather than talking about these headsets as peripherals, these companies should talk about them as displays because they are displays. It's like you're buying a new monitor. And uh, I think if you phrase it that way and frame it that way, I think people won't think of those prices as being super high because paying $800 for a monitor isn't unusual, you know? And basically it's two monitors. (laughs) So I don't know. Maybe Maybe that semantic change might even help things. I just pre-ordered both of them. How did you do that to me, Jeff? <laughs> <laughs> Monitors, baby. Um, all right, guys, let's uh, let's move on now. I'm so excited to get to the playlist, so let's do that. Ooh, what you playing this week? You tell us. Ooh, what you playing this week? You tell us on the playlist. All right, so I'm tempted to jump right into mine because I'm so excited. But Anthony, you are our guest, and we never did talk about Far Cry Primal last week. That's why I put I'm, it on there. I, I gave you a list of things to choose from. You let me. I'll talk about whatever. Well, we'll you talk want. about a few of them. But I, I'm definitely curious about Far Cry Primal because when I heard it announced, I was like, I'm all in on this Far Cry. I love me the Far Cries. I, I'm all in on this Primal one. Uh, and then as it was happening, I was you know I was playing super hot and I was playing the flame and the flood and i was like well i'll get to the far cry primal at some point and now here we are on the eve of the division coming out and i'm like "Ah, i'm probably not gonna play far cry primal so um tell me if that if i'm missing out am i missing out on greatness well let me just preface this by saying uh as both of you can you can you can check me on this i have the platinum trophy for far cry Primal, so i played a lot of far cry primal that said I don't think Far Cry Primal is necessarily a very good game. <laughs> um, right. I, there was really nothing to play. Um, Far Cry Primal. <laughs> here's the thing. I've said this to mo- multiple people. I think if Far Cry Primal came out instead of Far Cry 4, it probably would have been better received. But because we had Far Cry 3, Far Cry Blood Dragon, and then Far Cry 4, having Primal come out... Um, and just reuse all of those same concepts just with like a, a slightly different wrapper is it just gets old after a point. And one of the things that's really disappointing about Far Cry Primal is the story and the, the character development and all this stuff that I actually think is really well done in Far Cry. They've had memorable villains like Voss and Pagan Men. All that stuff is really lost here. This is mostly... a a game where they give you these crude caveman tools, a spear, a club, a bow and arrow, some like you get like a little B bomb and you get a uh, a little fire bombs that all those tools are fun to mess around with. But at the end of the day, you're still going to an outpost that has a bunch of guys. One guy is a elite. One guy has a horn to alert the bad guys. And there's maybe some animals in a cage and you're still just trying to kill ev- everybody either in a direct way or in a stealth way. And then that unlocks a fast travel point. Then you unlock some missions uh, like side quest stuff that's you've probably done already five times 
before it, and it just becomes very like repetitive. Everything about the game is repetitive within the game. And also the game itself feels repetitive of past Far Cry mm-hmm. stuff. But the, I mean, it is really cool to be a caveman and to like have control of like a saber tooth tiger and be able to ride a saber tooth tiger and send them out to attack guys. But at the same time, the AI isn't great for the saber tooth tiger. So he's sometimes your own worst enemy. So there's, there's always a qualifier to everything that I think is positive about the game. There, there is a negative to it. So I would say that if the game were maybe like 15 to $30 and just a downloadable experience, it might've been better received as well. But anybody who, who was looking for like the next evolution of Far Cry, this is not that this is, this is blood dragon for Far Cry four. Like it even essentially uses the same. Wow. That's so interesting. Um, I didn't really think about it that way. I wonder if it started out, because Blood Dragon was such a big hit for them and it kind of energized the franchise. I wonder if they went, hey, team, what other crazy, wacky ideas have you? And they went, well, what about this one? And they went, well, okay. And then it developed and developed. And they went, well, we could put this out as a full game instead of a, you know, I wonder if that was sort of the. It, it certainly feels like it. it there, there are a lot of things where you look at a Sabertooth Tiger and you say, well, that could that could be a reskin Tiger from Far Cry 4. Well, or, it's or, the same like, map, too, right? According yeah, to like Reddit sleuths, like the exact same. It is. It in, in a lot of ways, yeah. It doesn't have like the man-made structures, but it in a lot of ways is the same map. There's like a snow area at the top. There's like a more barren area at the bottom, but yeah, like instead of elephants from far cry four, they're mammoths. It's very, well, it's kind of the only way that explains why, how it came out so quickly. Basically. Right? Yeah. It, 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 yeah. Um, that's a little disappointing. I mean, it's kind of still cool, I think, but it is a little disappointing. My question to you guys is what, what, makes a game what's the difference between a game like this that feels like you're doing chores to one that feels like you're allowed to have all these great cool open world experiences because for some reason i think there are games like this that start to feel like you're just doing chores in an open world what what's that thing that makes it different uh, better i for me it it would have to be gameplay that feels fresh uh, that's such like a you know a nebulous term but um for example one of the reasons that i spent a lot of time playing metal gear solid 5 was yeah the missions are repetitive and you're you're doing similar things but i still liked messing around with that gameplay it didn't get old until i was done with it whereas far cry I'm still like standing back, marking the targets, shooting them all in the heads with bows and arrows instead of a sniper rifle. And then I'm running up and hitting them with melee weapons instead of, you know, with a shotgun or whatever. But it, yeah, I think, I think it comes down to does this, does the gameplay hook me? And if the gameplay hooks me, then I'm more willing to do the repetitive stuff um, for longer yeah. the stuff that feels like chores. You know, if you're like, playing saints row and you give me superpowers. It's like, okay, well I want to do this forever. Yeah. Right. Any, any feelings on this? one? I mean, I think it's, uh, different from game to game and what you think is a chore, you know, Batman Arkham Knight was a chore to you. And to me, it was one of my favorite games that I played last year. So I'm, I was trying to think of like distilled down maybe why that is. And, you know, yeah. And fallout four for you feel like a chore. 
I mean, I think I it's it. the answer is maybe some form of it's twofold, either a progression system that clicks with you for whatever reason, whether it's cookie crunch or whatever that <laughs> iOS game, right? Like something in there tri- tri- triggers in your brain, that progression system, or the narrative is enough to pull you along. And then it's not a chore because you're you're not mindlessly doing the things you're unlocking either the next progression thing that you get this cool new thing or every chore is a story beat. And that's fascinating to you because what I thought were chores and fallout, for example, you're like, I'm living in this world and I'm seeing this world that they built. And so I think it's the games that are able to marry those two together where they really have crack cocaine and uh, otherwise you need right. one, one or other. And I feel like Far Cry before had done a pretty good job of marrying those two, right? Where the progression system was uh, going crazy and blowing everything up and having a wingsuit, <laughs> you know, like that was enough of a progression system to get you into these new areas with these new awesome guns and stuff. And then like Anthony mentioned, the villains in three and four were so cool and notable. And regardless of how you felt the story ended in three, you know, it kept you coming back to see how that unraveled. So when you got sick of just blowing up outposts, you went and checked in with the narrative again. And then you were like, okay, now I'm ready to blow stuff up. <laughs> Well, this uh, this brings us directly to a great discussion on No Man's Sky, because uh, I, I do want to hear more about the stuff on your playlist, Anthony. But uh, I got a chance to play No Man's Sky for uh, just under an hour uh, at an event this week. And I'm sure you guys have read stuff about this event. Um, it was pretty cool. I got to talk to Sean Murray and uh, we got a presentation of some new stuff that has just been announced for No Man's Sky, some new features that they hadn't talked about previously. And then we got hands-on. We got to play it on a PS4 uh, in these cool little weird pod things. <laughs> it was fun. So let me tell you uh, some of the new stuff that they announced, if you haven't heard, um, that I think is is very, very impressive. Uh, basically, there's going to be alien races in No Man's Sky that you can interact with. We knew that trading was a part of the game, but they hadn't really showed what trading would be like uh, now we got a chance to see the fact that you can come, you can find um, evolved technologies and and outposts and places and ships and star systems and um, uh, space stations, and there'll be alien races in them. And there's a whole bunch of alien races, and you, through the course of the game, can interact with them in, in a variety of ways. You basically uh, talk to them, and they'll have various numbered options that allow you to to present them with certain, uh, attitudes and say, you know, say things to them. So, uh, you know, you're not always sure what the alien race is saying because you don't necessarily know their language yet. And through the course of the game, you can find these monoliths on certain planets that will, that by studying them, you will learn bits of language of different alien races. And so you can learn a word here or there. And so, uh, then when you interact with that race, and they say that word, it'll see me like gobbledygook, gobbledygook, and then word you recognize, and then more gobbledygook. So, and then you're just compiling this compendium of information and learning more and more of their language. I thought all that was pretty cool looking and really interesting way of handling that. Uh, it doesn't seem like the alien races have much more to do, though, than be little hubs for that, little trading hubs, little potential, like... We saw one where we went into a, a space station and there was a guy there. And if you told him the right thing, he gave you a cool gun. Uh, and now you have this cool upgraded gun. So that's cool. But other than that, there's not much more going on with the alien races, it seems to me. Um, the other stuff they showed was uh, all the a sort of crazy upgrade system that you get. You can mine materials from the from all these planets. 
and build things. And um, I ended up getting a really cool upgrade to my gun that let me blast holes in the ground. And you can like blast a hole in the ground and find an, a whole underground tunnel system in these planets. It's like, oh my God, there's an entire universe of planets that have that are planet size that are infinitely explorable. And also there's like subterranean parts of planets. It's insane. The level of what there is in this game is absolutely gobsmacking. Um, and uh, a lot of that is really exciting and really cool. You, 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 and if you attack creatures or attack people or try to break into things, uh, you can alert these sentries will just start coming out and attacking you and you have to shoot back at them and they start small and then they come out as like two legged sort of ATST walkers. And then they go, it goes up from there and they get bigger and more badass and more harder to kill. Uh, so there's a lot of stuff going on. Um, and having played it for almost an hour, uh, I, I was totally wowed by it. Here's the thing, guys. Sean Murray clearly is a brilliant guy and very idealistic and very cool. And he seems to be absolutely obsessed with the technology behind how this game is being made. And that technology is awesome. It's very impressive. The idea is that, you know, in most procedurally generated games, it procedurally generates a level or a planet or whatever it is. And then it loads that thing into memory. So it, it created it. It, it, it wasn't pre-written by a programmer because it's procedurally generated, but then it's loaded into Ram and there it sits and it's static, right? That's not how No Man's Sky works at all. No Man's Sky has an algorithm which is responsible for the entire universe, right? This very complicated series of maths that define what the universe looks at, looks like, I should say. And wherever you happen to be in that universe, your PS4 is running that algorithm and generating what the universe looks like from your perspective, down to blades of grass, down to little creatures, but as big as the planet you're standing on or the universe, you know, section of the universe you're in. So it's because that algorithm never changes and those numbers in that math equation never changes, it's always the same. So if some other player comes to your exact same spot, they will see the exact same thing that you're seeing because the algorithm is static and never changes. But it also means that the game never has to have a loading screen because there's nothing to load. It's just running an algorithm to generate the universe on the fly from your perspective. It's it's revolutionary and super cool. And I've never heard of that technique used before. Maybe it has been, but it's pretty amazing that you can move over such long distances and see so much and literally never have a loading screen. It's pretty awesome. The downside of that is they, they don't know what's in the game. <laughs> they built the game. It's infinite near or nearly infinite. And everything that exists in it is built from this equation. So for example, when I blow a hole in the ground and I go down into the uh, subterranean part of the planet, it's amazing. I feel like I'm exploring, but there's nothing down there. There's nothing waiting for me. There's no there there. You know, everything is just uh, random. It's not random. It's built on a very specific equation and a very specific set of rules, but 
when I explore a place in Skyrim or in Fallout or in The Witcher, I know that some designer placed something that's waiting for me to be discovered that's fascinating. No one did that in this game. There are things to discover. You discover the alien race or find a very rare resource that you can mine to create a cool upgrade to build your cool new ship or add your jetpack that does a certain thing or add a beam to your laser that's really cool. But ultimately, most of the stuff you're going to see isn't interesting, just like real life. And it seems to me that the central philosophy behind No Man's Sky isn't fun. Like fun isn't the main design goal from Hello Games, it seems to me. I know that's a super harsh criticism and I don't mean it as a harsh criticism. I just don't think that's what they're interested in. Like hearing and talking to Sean Murray, it seems like he's much more interested in creating this experience that's unprecedented. And I think it's very, it's fascinating and very cool. But I'm worried that because there's, he's very specifically creating no goals for the player. It's basically like a game of Fallout without the story layer. There's no story layer. There's just doing shit. You know, there's just doing stuff. Uh, so what do you guys think? <laughs> uh, I, I'm super excited for No Man's Sky. So everything you're saying to me has me excited. I do have, I think this has been a concern since the very beginning is what is the game? You know, what is, is it going to be so compelling that I'm going to be pulled in the entire time? Or is it a, is it an experience where I mess around with it the first time for a few hours? It's super engrossing. But then when I stop playing, am I called back? Is there something pushing me forward? I'm sure there are going to be lots of people who are going to be very, very excited to play the game. I think there are going to be people who will spend forever, you know, like exploring these worlds, but then I don't think the reach is as wide, but yeah, for me, I am very excited for no man's sky. Everything you said, I, you know, sounds amazing. Sounds like a game that I would, I would love to play. Will I play it for months or even weeks? I can't say, but yeah, it sounds cool. And I'm, I'm really excited to play it, but I have the same concerns of, you know, is this, is it going to feel not, I don't want to be harsh and say empty, but is it going to feel like there isn't much to it past like the initial novelty? It's, it's very impressive. And I am also very excited to play it. I'm going to be playing it on day one. And, you know, finding a creature that's never been named and being able to name it. I mean, they, they had for the press event that we were at, they had the, uh, the naming restrictions turned off so we could name things with curse words and do everything. And, you know, everybody was naming stuff, butts, 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 and all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and, and that, that was silly and fun. I they, you know, that's going to be turned on in the final release, but it'll still be fun naming things the way you want them to be named and finding new stuff and exploring the planet. And, and I think building up your reach, your power and potential to move farther through the galaxy will be a cool hook, but there isn't, there was a moment where I like, I went to a planet that had never been discovered. So we, we started the demo on this planet and everybody started on the same planet, which is not how the game's going to work at all. In fact, they are 
very much actively trying to prevent players from ever bumping into one another, uh, which I think is an odd choice as well. But anyway, we all started on the same planet. Uh, and, and I wanted to get to a planet that none of the other journalists in the room would get to. So I got into my thing and I went into hyperspace and I, it took me like four minutes to fly through space to get to this other planet that nobody else got to. And I landed on it and it was this wild, like purple and pastel pink, crazy light blue planet. It looked like Easter, the planet. And it had little pods that looked kind of like Easter eggs and crazy. There were crazy things everywhere and wild colors. And it was awesome. When I first landed on it, I was like, this is completely different than the snow planet that we all started on. Uh, this is wild. And then like crazy creatures started appearing and, and, but they were all just sort of hopping around and bopping around. And some of them moved in a way that, that seemed unrealistic and they were just sort of weird globs of things. And, and they were in, they were all, there was different creatures all sort of in the same space. And it just looked like the planet equivalent of like an old MySpace page or like an old GeoCities website where somebody just put a bunch of crazy flashing lights on their spot, you know, just to look, make it look weird. And I went, there's, there's no central design here. It's just, this is different than all the other planets. And that's what makes it in the game is that it's unique. And there's something cool about that. But also, like, I, I realized, oh, there's really nothing waiting for me here because no one made it. Does that make sense? Christian, what do you think? So we talked offline about this a little bit. Um, and I almost think that this game is going to be more for me than a game like Fallout 4 is because this game, from what we've seen and what you're saying, is is just exploration and just chilling and hanging out and whether or not as i mentioned before like is there a progression system like and like anthony mentioned what pulls you back after you know spending four hours with the game on launch day i think it is just the joy of exploring and you know maybe they're thinking that that alien language is kind of the progression system that how cool it feel when you can understand what they say it's crazy to think that somewhere somehow this algorithm or something is if I find all of these words, um, that sentence has to make sense, right? Like there has to be. Yeah. I mean, all those things are written. There's like a bunch of things that, you know, potential things that all these alien races can offer you or say or do. Uh, but all of them are just sort of little hubs for you to interact with briefly. It's not like they have a sort of interact. There's no story layer. There's no. I'd, I'd rather have that, I think, having not played it at all. Um, I think I'd rather have that than the Fallout 4 narrative of I need to go find my f- son and then I spend 12 hours not looking for my son because I get distracted by all this other cool stuff. Like I, I get what you're saying that, you know, in Fallout 4, this stuff was handmade. It was made by men and women and crafting this world and this experience and everything in there is something they wanted you to see because it fills out this world in which they've created where everything is telling the story. Whereas in no man's sky, it's created by this algorithm. There's no necessary rhyme or reason to it. If you find one planet and then another, it doesn't shed light as to the solar system or the galaxy or the universe and why it all exists. To some extent, I find that beautifully comforting because I feel like that's kind of how we're, we live in real life, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Well, it's very, it very much based on that. I mean, I think it is in a lot of ways the opposite of a Fallout game, and and 
in a lot of the ways that you don't like the Fallout games. The, the idea behind No Man's Sky is to show you how insignificant you are. Rather than being the one savior that's going to you know save the world, as a lot of these role-playing games are, the entire point of No Man's Sky is to show you that you are a tiny speck of insignificance in the galaxy. <laughs> you know, And I think that's what Sean Murray finds so beautiful about the game. I mean, he talked about... He talked about looking uh, at a planet and wandering around it and being able to see the math. Like he's like, I see the sort of fractal that is happening. And I went, I don't want to see the fractal. Like, I, I mean, I understand that if you if you look at it as just like our own universe where you can stare at a seashell and see the spiral and go, oh my God, it's just math expressing itself in our universe. There's something beautiful to that. But in a video game, it's like, no, I get it, but I want to. I want to do something. I want to have impact, and I and I I'm I'm concerned about that. I as much as I'm very still excited about that and super impressed by what I played. I, it's going to be a real I think litmus test. For yeah, me. I'm excited. I'm super glad it exists. I like I said, and I, Anthony brought up as well. I don't know if like if I have an hour to game at night, will I want to do this or will I want to go you know, chop off one more story beat of Uncharted or something like that, right? Like what's pulling me into this world? But I love this idea uh, of insignificance. And people have talked for a while about, you know, reacting, uh, pulling back from Call of Duty, where, of course, you're so many video games are the monomyth, right? Because they have to be because you start out insignificant or whatever, you know, what do you do? You, you, you play papers, please, right? Like that's if you're a low person on the totem pole in the army, you're sitting in an office somewhere. Granted, it's an, an example, right? Uh, but I, I had mentioned, I don't know if I told you this before, but like one of my things that I would love to see a TV show do, and I don't know how you do it in today's day and age with leaks and social media, but like instead of, you know, Seinfeld having the final episode of the final season, like what if the final episode of Seinfeld was just the fourth episode of its final season and there was no pre-release to it no leak it just ended and that's the end of it and of course these people all still have their lives going um i very much enjoyed the end of of firewatch that some people found divisive and i like the idea of of meaningless (laughs) i guess and i don't know if i will spend 100 hours playing the game but i am i'm actually more excited that the game seems to be shaping up that way than and also you discover an alien race that must be tracked down across hundreds of planets like i have that game it's called mass effect 2 and it was great okay i mean i i hear you and i'm excited that this game exists as well my hope is that they all they will treat this game as a platform and that it will continue to evolve i mean they they've sort of hinted at things that will change and he said right now we're pushing players apart so they never bump into each other to sort of push them out into the largeness of the universe uh and i kept thinking man this game is so would be so much better if i had a buddy like if if i could hang out and you and i could play at the same time and you know hop into our ships and fly to the next planet together and start naming things together and i think that would be so much more fun but that's not what they want so let the record reflect to our listeners that the the past twenty minutes or whatever it's been, this is what it sounds like when Jeff is negative on a game and I'm positive. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't think I'm negative. I mean, I still really want to play it, 
I just left there thinking they're not interested in making a f- making fun. <laughs> You know, like that, but that, but maybe that's great. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's an interesting thing. Maybe this, I mean, it really is the sort of a triple A indie game. It really is this game that's made by a very small group of people who have a very specific taste and somehow the hype of it got it pulled into a much larger scope and scale. And Sony is, has turned it into a triple A game from a marketing perspective, but it, it, this is very much more like an experimental small game and i think nobody at hello games ever anticipated it would be anything like what it is now as far as what people expect out of it you know sean kept saying like i never expected anybody would want to play this i think that was just an experiment and 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 it has become this greater thing and maybe it will be great maybe we will see uh people embrace it on a on a level that makes it something really really special i mean one of the things he talks about is how, and, I, and I'm totally behind this, by the way. I'm not negative about it. Uh, one of the things he talks about is how this game is the only game that will have true exploration in it. Like, this is actual exploration. This is not exploring in Fallout or in Dark Souls or something where, like, 300 people did it before you and there's a fact online and all you got to do is look in that thing and... There's not, you know, there's not a place where you can go and find out where the chest is in Witcher, uh, you know, in the forest. This, they don't know where anything is in this game. Like, and no one will. There is no one that will be able to tell you where to go or what to do. I'm sure there'll be lots of facts, you know, giving you recommendations of what to do. But this is actual exploration. This is an undiscovered country of the universe that even the game designers don't know what's waiting for you. But that also means that nothing's waiting for you. You know what I mean? I, I only by listening. I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, are you, you're still you're unfazed. You're you're you're. Um, ready. Oh, I don't. We don't have to talk about this anymore. If you guys are done. No, talking. no. I, I think it, I think it is good to talk. About. I think your passion does come through, and I I don't. I think that Christian was being a little hot on you by saying he's the positive and you're the negative one. I think you have legitimate concerns. All he's been saying and is that he doesn't want to play this game, but then he ends that sentence I by saying, say that. but I still want to no, play it. I you can't say, I this game looks boring. True. They don't, they're not interested in fun. This isn't how I want I my video games. I never want to play this game again. Playing it for an hour made me throw up. <laughs> wow. But I still want to play it. None of that was said. None of that was said to me. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, that, that didn't come across to me. I don't think it came across to the listeners. Uh, I don't know. It's this is this is going to be a game where I think either one of two things will happen. The game will come out and it will be this like revelation where everybody is just constantly talking about it and saying like this is the future. This is so incredible or it's going to come out and everybody's going to go, "Yeah, we probably overhyped that." Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd straight up asked him if they was going to support VR and uh, he was very cagey. So I think they're, they're working on it. Um, also, I'm definitely getting this on PC and not PS4. Just, just from what I saw on the P, on the PS4 version, I'm like, this is a, this is going to be so much better. Like heavy rain cagey um, or. Yeah. Like David great. cagey, David cagey, like yeah. Jason, like Nicholas okay, cagey. Great. Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, Anthony, tell me about, uh, Zelda, the twilight princess HD. Um, okay. Uh, Zelda, it stars a little guy named link. He, Mm. uh, tries to rescue a princess in this particular one. uh, 
I mean, I don't. Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to recap this game because it is a HD re-release. It is a better looking version of Twilight Princess. Um, well, you're no longer uh, waggling, right? That was yes. the idea. Is that wag, waggle Twilight Princess was the waggle Zelda? Well, Twilight Princess was the sort of waggle Zelda. Skyward, yeah, yeah, yeah. Skyward Sword was like the Wii Motion or Wii Mote Plus was more than no waggle, and that was like, you could GameCube this game. Yeah, you could GameCube. Oh, that's right. It was, it was the yes. bridge between the two. Yeah, consoles. Skyward Sword was like the legit, you have to move your sword, you have to block, you have to, you know, attack the enemy in the specific angle. This yes. one was more, um, you just, you can swing the Wiimote and he'll attack. So um, I played this one on the Wii, so I, I think of it as the Waggle Wii, uh, Zelda, but you're right. You guys I, are right. Yeah, so, I did course. play it on the Wii. Um, so Obviously, the the biggest change this time around is is it it's just it controls like a game would on a console. You press the B button and you use your sword. There's no uh, motion involved. I don't know actually if you can use a Wii remote. I I wouldn't want to. But yeah, the the I think the two main selling points for this game and the reason that um, it's worth playing for Zelda fans is it looks really nice. It it looks. If if you uh, go on YouTube and look at what the game looked like on GameCube and what it looks like now, it's very impressive to see the work that they've done. Um, and they've taken some concessions to make some of the less, uh, I guess, desirable elements of the game, particularly when you're in wolf form. So, like, the gimmick of this game is that uh, Link turns into a wolf um, during, like, the pre-temple phases where you're, like... You know, every Zelda has those moments where you're in the temple and then you're doing something so that you can get into the temple. Well, in this game, you're you're a wolf and you have to collect a bunch of weird stuff and collecting the weird stuff uh, is faster. There's less things to collect is basically the the main change this time around and uh does it look significantly better in hd or are they updated the uh, not significantly i would i would actually argue that wind waker looks better because just because of the art yeah. style you can make that art style look better at the end of the day the textures are still you can see their textures you're not going to look at it and go oh my god this looks like you know, this is this could be an actual Wii U game. It just looks better. I know a lot of um, people really liked Twilight Princess because it was dark and different and very, 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 uh, I think, outside the box for a Zelda game. I think it's my least favorite Zelda, but that's just me. Yeah, it's it's not it's it's not a great one, to be honest. Uh, uh, I actually I liked it. I liked it when I played it. So I was replaying it. Uh, I know a lot of people were really hard on it. And so when I was replaying it, I was kind of more uh, realizing why people were so critical of it, because I think as a, as someone who really does love the Zelda franchise, I was a little more forgiving the first time I played it. Cause it was like, Ooh, new Zelda. It's been so long. Right. And especially if you're waiting for like a Zelda in the like traditional sense, it had been what Majora's mask, yeah. I guess well, was, that, was the like last kid. Right. I mean, that was, yeah, yeah, that's true. So I guess Ocarina of time, um, you know, it was it was the next adult link Zelda game. So it had been a while. So I think some of that nostalgia made me kind of overlook the faults and replaying it. Yeah, you get the sense that like, OK, some of this stuff is a little tedious. It's it's not. But the, the temple design or the dungeon design is it's still like top notch Nintendo. 
if you didn't play it, I'd, I'd recommend giving it a try, especially as like a primer for hopefully this year's Zelda game. <laughs> but yeah, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good game. It's, if nothing else, when you say a game is like not great when it's Nintendo, that still is better than a lot of the right. stuff that comes yeah. up. Uh, Christian, how about you? What do you got on your uh, your playlist? Well, you had spent time with it, but now the the Hitman Hitman beta is um, available for everyone that's a PS Plus member. Yeah, I was like the wrong person to spend time with that game, as you pointed out. Well, <laughs> well, I think it's super interesting that uh, it, it worked out well that I played this game for this week and after what was it last week's discussion about how much does a game show you and introduce things to you and how much do you, does it let you figure out for yourself? So I am going to talk in detail about the Hitman beta. There will, you know, this is spoilers. You want to know nothing about it and you're a big Hitman fan. Fine. I don't think I'm dropping any huge bombs, but I'm not going to hold anything back. And, And the game opens with you being recruited and being trained for a new organization and they're trying to see if you you know have what it takes so they drop you in a which a simulation of an event that had happened in the past and it's not a vr simulation which is i i love like the tongue and cheekiness of it where it's like and don't worry about killing people the ammo's not real however one of the options is to snap someone's neck <laughs> but they have they have a cruise ship in this they hired way. like 400 actors for i know this one dude's uh, training mission <laughs> the, the reality of this organization that has like and you are a top secret killer but today you will be playing a patron at this party <laughs> yeah. um is bizarre is bizarre so don't don't wrap your head around it um <laughs> but I wanted to call it. It's funny. But anyway, you're in this, you're doing a recreated mission and you have an objective of going and taking out someone and they drop you into the world and they let you just do it. Also, very quickly into it, they tell you, hey, we're saving stuff at checkpoints, but you can save whenever you want, i.e. save now. <laughs> yeah. Save often. That was my favorite thing about it was the save anywhere thing. I'm a huge fan of save anywhere on console for any every game all the time. Yeah, and they're telling you you're going to fail. I thought they did a really, if people watch that Mario 1-1 introduction, I think this game did a really, this this beta, does a really good job of showing you what to do and how to do. So you start out, and you're in your all-black Hitman outfit, and you walk towards the cruise, you see the cruise ship, and you're like, the guy I need to kill is on this cruise ship. So you walk towards it. And then you get there, and the guards are like, hey, you can't come in here, you're not on the list. And then the, it prompts you, and it's like, find another way in. And you're like, oh, cool. Let me explore the space a little bit. Then you find uh, a guy and his back's to you. And it's like, hey, you can take him out quietly. You take him out. Then you're presented with the ability to put on his clothes. And now you have a, a way to sneak in. And now you're in disguise. And it does a really, really good job, in my opinion, of layering these skills and tools and things that you use throughout Hitman games in the past. Um, but if you aren't familiar with it, of what you're doing. And the Hitman games are... They are slow paced, like the music and the atmosphere and sometimes like the idea of what you're trying to do makes you want to rush it where it's like you got to get in this house and kill this guy. So in your head, you're used to video games and you're like, here I come, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it really isn't that and resist that urge. Um, and then you you complete your mission, however you complete it. Uh, strangle him, kill him, shoot him, throw him through a window, uh, shoot him, run away, get detected, whatever, whatever, whatever. And then after that, it's like you get a little cutscene. It's like, great. There are many different ways to do it. Challenges uh, reveal some of the ways, but not all of them. 
And then you go through and you look at all the challenges and you see how many different ways that you can do the thing you just did. And then hopefully if you take the time to do it, it's layering on all of these skills that then you will take with you out into, you know, the full game, however you view that episodic, full, whatever, you know, other adventures. And you are given now a sandbox of tools to go and kill people. And I think that the way that they did it in the in the beta, which is apparently like the first opening of of the actual game or the first chapter, is really, really, really well done. It doesn't tell you, you know, use the left thumbstick to move. Look up, look down. Great, you're calibrated. And I think it was a really nice medium between, obviously you've played 3D third-person video games before, we're assuming. And from that, what are we going to teach you about what our game is? Really cool. So does it make you want to play more Hitman? It does. I I am. I think I will just do the first pack, the $15 pack, and not do like the $60 complete experience. And if I enjoy those first, uh, what, that first world or whatever, um, look to upgrade later, if, depending on the lull in my game schedule. This game starts out looking pretty beautiful, like in the snow. But that said, when you start really playing, it, it's not, uh, it's not the order. It's not Tomb Raider. Right. Um, and there are some frame rate hiccups, but I've heard that the beta they released is actually older than what the current demo they're working with. So I have high hopes and it. If you like Hitman, I think this game is going to please a lot of people. Cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I know you guys have a few other things you want to talk about, including the uncharted beta, which I want to hear about, but, uh, I want to get to my, uh, next thing as well. And, you know, you guys have heard me be a little bit of skeptical this episode, but I have to warn everybody. I'm about to go a little crazy about VR. So. Just, you know, hunker down because it's about to get hot up in her. Um, I went, I got to go to a, a company called Servios this week and they showed me a few uh, VR games that they are working on for the Vive. The first is a, a game that they have announced uh, called Raw Data. And you know that moment in action movies where our two heroes or or maybe the hero and the villain who didn't know they would have to team up or uh you know our our hero and our heroine or whatever the two people find themselves in that situation where they're trapped and they have to hold out as long as possible and everybody's coming in and so they go let's do this and they go back to back and you know they they stand back to back with their guns and they just try to defend the spot they're on for as long as possible. You mean every Antonio Banderas movie? Yeah, every well, almost every action movie, right? There's that moment where it's like, let's do this. You stand back to back and bring it on. That is this game. That is raw data. And so the idea here is that you are infiltrating these high-tech future places and downloading data from their servers. And you have to try to hold out as long as you can to get as much data downloaded from their servers while automatons and robots and drones attack you from all sides and you can play it with a buddy. So uh, eventually I think they're going to have like, you know, internet multiplayer right now. It's just land multiplayer, but the idea is somebody somewhere else with their vive on and you are in the same spot back to back and you interact, you can interact with each other and you see the other person moving around fully 3D. It, but, you know, it's all sort of like uh, stylized um, virtual reality world. But you have guns, you have a sword. Uh, I got a shotgun, I got a bow and arrow, which I'll talk about all that stuff as I go on. But I have to tell you guys, this is 
the dream of of when you went to the bowling alley and you played Time Crisis with your buddy and you had like real guns and you were shooting and you're standing next to each other and you're getting the high score on Time Crisis. The dream was that Time Crisis is all around you and it's all you see and you can shoot in every direction and behind you, maybe they're coming up behind you. This is that dream realized. It was so fun immediately. And it was also proof that like, this is a full on game experience. Now I only saw one level and uh, they said they're going to be more levels. And yes, you only stand in one spot. So it's not like this big adventure where you're, you know, traversing through a thing. It really is very much a like score. How, how, how high can your score get? How much data can you download? And at the end of each round, it shows you a readout of like your stats and your, your, you know, your hit percentage and how much data you downloaded and how long you lasted and how many things you killed. So it very much is, you know, uh, an arcade game, but full on everything you've ever wanted. So here's the thing. You start in this place, right? You have the two Vive controllers in your hands. You have the headset on. You can look up. You're in this big voluminous area. You're standing because it's the Vive, you know, uh, and I know you guys are going to criticize it for that, but we'll get to that. Um, and you can, you pick up, you have a gun on your, on your hip, on your holster. You grab the gun from your holster. You can toss it back and forth between your hands, however you want to manipulate the gun. You have uh, some ammo on your other hip and on your back. Uh, you have a sword on your back. So at any point, you can reach behind you, behind your shoulder, and grab the sword and pull the sword out, which then you, sort of like a lightsaber, you extend the blade once you have the hilt in your hand. Uh, there are multiple weapons that this console in front of you will sort of materialize. So let's say you want the shotgun. You pick up the shotgun with one hand. The other hand has to cock the shotgun with the, you know, the classic. You have to do that with the other hand. Uh, if you have a bow and arrow, you pick up the bow with one hand. You pull the string back with the other hand. You have to pull an arrow from your quiver behind you and notch it, then pull it back. You can charge it, and then it, you can detonate the grenade arrows. And these guys, these automatons, these robots are coming at you from every angle and you're shooting them and trying to, and you're dodging their shots. You're ducking behind cover. You're dodging their shots. You can use the sword to block their bullets uh, or their laser beams. Um, you can use the sword to chop them into pieces. Uh, you can, you can shoot grenades out of your shotgun and that bounce all around the volume. Uh, at a certain point, drones will start being co coming out above you. So you got to look above you and shoot the drones down. It is so much fun. It is so much fun. And I know you're thinking, you're thinking this is like Waggle Town, USA. You know, you're, you, it, it feels ridiculous because you're just waggling. No, I'm telling you, this is the dream of actually doing the thing. I'm open to questions. I'm on board. I mean, it sounds awesome. It 100% sounds awesome. I don't think it'll justify me spending $2,200 to get there. Well, I mean, hey, I can you I, hear I, that leaf blower? It's driving me crazy. Sorry. There's like a guy. If you can hear it, listeners, no, I'm sorry. It. I it's going it. to town outside my place. <laughs> That's all right. Get those leaves, buddy. Get those leaves. Um, I, I can already hear the people that 
say, I don't want to be standing up. This is what I thought you were going to say, Christian. I don't want to be standing up while I play. I don't want to be pointing my actual arms at like a gun. I don't want to be ducking and jiving and moving around. And yes, by the time I was done playing this, I was sweaty. But I think it, it is, it, at no point was I ever nauseated. At no point that even a little bit of me, and I was like whipping my head around back and forth and d- jumping around and dodging things. And I'm sure I looked like a, a real moron in, in that, you know, in the actual world. Uh, but, and, and yes, it required, you know, a, a significant amount of space. I'm standing. I, it, but the, the experience of playing it is so fun. It's so fun. I mean, I was giggling and laughing. And when I got to like pull my sword out and the, the feedback of the Vive controller, um, before the match started, my virtual companion, who was another person in another room on another Vive, pulled out his sword. I pull out my sword. And then we, we sort of played, you know, like little kids with, with sticks, played swords for a second. And when my sword hit his sword, there was a vibration in my Vive controller. So it really felt like I hit his sword it was so, so awesome. Yeah, I'm on board. I don't want every game to be this, but if I had a vibe and had the space to play it in, I would definitely be interested in this game, but I would just also want to play Firewatch or yeah. E-Valkyrie. But the fact that they're doing things that are realizing this dream accurately are great because I think the problem with, while the move was pretty accurate and the Wiimote, what was it Wiimote Plus? Um, was fairly accurate. It was any time you get to the thing that isn't quite doing the thing you want it to, to do, it becomes annoying. It's like Skyward Sword, you know, the the other Wii Zelda game. It's like when you swipe, it swipes this way. And every time it didn't do what I wanted it to do, it was maddening that I couldn't turn it off and just the, play the game. The but real difference with those, I think, is that I was moving something in space and I could see my hand doing it and was checking to see if on the screen... It was doing what I said, right? You're watching your on-screen avatar and hoping and checking every time whether they were mapping your movements one-to-one. And when it was working great, it worked great, but you were still aware of that disconnect of like, I am puppeteering something. And in the virtual reality space, you are no longer puppeteering. You're just doing it. Right. Just do it. I just reached to my hip. I reached behind me and reload my my gun. I reached to my hip and grabbed my gun. I reached behind me and grabbed the, the arrow to notch into my bow i'm just doing it i wonder how much sorry go ahead no i i I just want you to fight me on this christian no there's no fight i (laughs) I do i do wonder how much of uh auto aim using that as shorthand i specifically asked i said how much aim assist are you doing he said zero oh no no i meant for like uh like putting the bow on the string like if i Uh gave you a real life bow and arrow that you're holding like are you really missing by a foot no but that's but that's what's so that's why we play video games oh, right? no no no. i know i'm just curious I, I'm, like, I'm not, i don't want something to i don't want something to make me have to have actual skill that's what wish fulfillment is you know that's why i play video games is like i want to be able to do a, a a 980 on in tony hawk and not actually be able to do a 980 but this like this makes that wish fulfillment happen even more in fact the second game I played at Servius, I'm not allowed to talk about it. I signed an NDA, but it is even more that. It is even more the the wish fulfillment idea of like, here's something that everybody, well, not everybody, but you may have wished that you could do 
We're going to make you feel exactly like you actually can do it, even though you can't. And I think that's going to be an amazing thing for VR because there's no video game. Like me playing whatever game, The Witcher, I don't feel like I actually can kill bad guys. You know, there's no video, even Tony Hawk or, or NBA 2K or whatever. I don't feel like I can actually do those things. But there is a certain level of wish fulfillment that happens in VR when these games give you the sort of visceral uh, sensory experience of doing a thing that you're not supposed to be able to do. And to me, that's completely new and revolutionary. No, it sounds awesome. And like the dumbest thing ever, I can't believe you would stand to play a game and be moving your arms and you were sweating. You've said that before. (laughs) You've said that before. You're mocking it like you would never say that, but you've said that. Okay, Anthony, what is your – are you going to fight me on this, Anthony, or are you going to – I'm not I'm to be honest as you were describing this I was thinking to myself these people should get together with the super hot people yeah. and they should make a game with this type of setup that's super hot but the well, I know super hot is already setup, making a VR that, version you know Yeah true um yeah it I mean it, I will not fight you on it I'll fight Christian just because I want to yeah, fight Christian we all do. but we all want to fight Christian is the theme yeah. of this. Yeah, I mean, I think you sold it well. I mean, the sweaty stuff, you know, there's, I can get pretty sweaty. So maybe, well, I also, maybe I'm not I down. I also feel for like, that, from a but. sort of geeks and sneaks perspective, maybe this will finally be. I mean, I know a lot of people bought Wii Fit, and maybe a lot of people were like, I'm going to play Wii Sports and actually get fit. And that was a fad that died pretty quickly. But I think this is a little bit different because I, I was having a tremendous amount of fun doing the thing like the thing I wasn't there for any other reason than to do the thing. And the thing itself wasn't a chore. It, it wasn't, you know, even playing Wii sports for me, it was always like, yeah, I'm playing tennis. I'm playing an approximation of tennis, but you know, I'm ch- checking to see if it's working. You know, I'm, I'm, I never felt like I was actually doing the thing. I felt like I was playing a game doing the thing. And the difference is I feel like I'm in the place doing the thing. And that it's, it's extraordinary. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, yeah. That sounds cool. Guys. Why would someone <laughs> fight you on me? Fight, fight me. me! <laughs> there's no, there's no reason to fight you on this. I will fight you on this a year later. If every game is like this, because in VR, they haven't found a way to have me move in the space and it becomes, you know, uh, redundant but as a first game that's doing this thing it sounds incredible and the vive handling you know moving objects in the space they do it they make you have the fun and feel like you're doing it without you being concerned that you're actually notching an arrow onto a bow and um this is something that owners of this 800 dollars uh first generation eventually to be replaced by a better thing piece of junk one year later are going to really enjoy christian was that good enough for you i i pre-ordered the vive no. I did. <laughs> oh, no. I'm so excited. I'm definitely I'm coming over to your house. No you you and your lovely wife are never coming over to our house again for anything. <laughs> and I'm gonna be I'm like, yeah, I'll have a dinner party. I'll bring everything, I'll be at your house and PS I'm playing all your VR. <laughs> Dude, I I'm really conflicted now as to I, I totally get people's you know, desire to not have to stand up and not have to move around. And yeah, I, I enjoy playing games sitting down too. I enjoy playing games with a controller. And I think that Oculus controller experience is going to be really compelling. But the Vive, like having the controllers it, as part of the package 
and creating these experiences where you're really doing things, where you're really picking things up, where you're really moving, where you really, it is palpably different. Did you cancel the, uh, no Oculus? No, I didn't. (laughs) I'm so excited. I'm, uh, uh, don't tell my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm going to be at your house all the time. Uh, it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all in on this stuff. And it, it's 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 just so fun and so exciting. Um, anyway, the, the whole, yeah, the whole like touch thing, I think it, it makes a big difference. The The biggest bummer, and, I, and again, you're going to say, well, this is Gen 1 and Gen 2 is going to fix that, yada, yada, yada. But the biggest bummer right now is that you're tethered is the fact yeah. that there are cords coming out of that Vive and sticking to your computer. Because I came away from this thing going, man, there's going to have to be some sort of aftermarket accessories to like clip your cords to your belt or whatever because I was constantly like getting myself tangled. Um, and that's a yeah. major problem. I think that's a big bummer. But, uh, you know, not enough to prevent me from having a great time with these things. And I know I'm going to get a lot of emails this week of people making fun of me. But it's uh, – I, I want I, – I know that I shouldn't. I know it, but I want this experience now. These experiences are so different and so fun. All right, I'll shut up. Uncharted beta, guys. Tell me about it. Uncharted yeah. beta. Good stuff. Anthony, go ahead. I, I've uh, raved about it already. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I played it for probably maybe 10 hours this weekend, Friday night, Saturday night, and last night. Um it's it's more uncharted multiplayer. I I do think that the one element of it that I have concerns of is the uh, currency system where you can buy like different sort of special powers and upgrades and stuff. Might be it might reward the winning team more. You know, it might get to this. I had a lot of games where um, I was on a team because I was playing with other people who play a lot of shooters, so we were just kind of dominating the other team and there really wasn't much they could do because we were just continuously earning money, continuously putting all these uh, different obstacles. Like you can call in these brutes who have heavy machine guns and you can crawl in the, the mysticals that, that do damage and heal everybody. So it got to a point where we were just overwhelming the other team a lot. So I think there are going to be some concessions need to need to be made for balance, but it's fun. Like it's a, it's the type of thing that if you like the Uncharted multiplayer, I think that you are going to like this multiplayer. And even if you have no interest, I think it's the type of thing that when you're done with Uncharted 4 story mode, hop into this, maybe get like an extra 10 to 15 hours of entertainment out of it. And then you can be done with it. Like it's not super deep. It's not, I, I, I can't see it being like, in my regular rotation of multiplayer shooters or even multiplayer games in general, but it's fun. It's, it's well-made and, and well done. And I enjoyed it. You don't need time for that. Ain't nobody got, time. yeah, I've got, I've got Divi- well, division. Oh, yeah. Me, division. I'm too, I'm, we're here on division Eve and I'm, I couldn't be more excited. We'll be talking about that a lot next week. I'm sure. Um, I wanted to uh, read an email that we got and uh, has a question. I said, you send in your cues and we give you our A's. So this week's cue comes from Eric King He says, I listened to Jeff talk about Massive Chalice, so I bought it and I love it. I did no research, upped the difficulty to hard, and turned on Iron Mode, which has no manual saving allowed. I made it to year 239 of 300 before I completely lost. I was quite happy with that result. I then restarted the game and made it to year 300, what I assume is the final year. 
I was five minutes into the final mission when my laptop went pop, let out some smoke, and went dark. My wife comforts me, though I really feel like she is amused at how this game is treating me, and tells me to just put the hard drive in my desktop. So I did that, called Microsoft to reactivate Windows 10, start up Steam, start up Massive Chalice, click load, and the game crashes. Looks like my laptop died in the middle of a save. Game lost forever. Are there any games you guys were unable to beat due to circumstances outside your control that haunt you to this very day? Anthony, do you have any uh, any experiences like that? That's pretty brutal. Oh my god, this guy is like tapping into my psyche <laughs> real real hard. I mean, as I mentioned, uh, I I'm I'm the type of person who will try and you know get the platinum trophy, get the thousand gamer score. Um, the one that stands out in my mind was uh, Borderlands Two. It had this uh, memory leak problem, and um, I was playing through it, really enjoying it, like having a ton of fun. I had all the right weapons that I was really excited about. And then I got to this point where if I played for longer than five minutes, the game wouldn't let me save anymore. And there, and there was really nothing I could do. I, I just couldn't, couldn't progress. And I was so far in that I just thought to myself, there's no way I'm going to start over. Um, it was an acknowledged problem mm-hmm. with the game by Gearbox. And I never finished Borderlands 2 and it does haunt me to this day because I was I was really 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 loving the game and I, I it's still like I I bought it on Steam yeah. thinking like oh I'll, I'll buy it on PC and then I'll just start fresh and I just yeah. I can't do it. Like, that same thing happened that one to me with uh, Metro 2033. Uh people remember I I told this story on weekend confirmed back in the day but um uh Metro 2030 or Metro 3033 I guess it was called. Uh, on the Xbox 360 had a glitch that they found out about a little too late for me, which uh, caused that, you know, that game, you you go in and out of like toxic areas and you have to wear this gas mask and the gas mask has a uh, has a filter over the screen. So it looks like you're looking through a gas mask and it like fogs up and stuff. And then certain things happen if the gas mask breaks, if it if it runs out of juice. Uh, you have to replace it. You have to get a new gas mask. But it, when it breaks, it like cracks the whole screen. So it looks like you're looking through this broken gas mask. So it incentivizes you to take it off. Uh, but there was a glitch on the 360 where you could not take off your gas mask. It was stuck on. And so that crack, like you can barely see the game at that point. Um, and it was stuck on and there was no way for me to take the gas mask off. So I could keep playing, but I was so far in at that point. I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to stare through this crack and play this game the whole time. There was no way to fix it. It just, ruined the experience and i never went back to that game i was loving that game but yeah it was rough Appreciate yeah i never got that uh i mean i had my activision i'm still waiting on the check you guys said you'd t- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. send me for advanced warfare or whatever well now they're saving on their e3 booth so they'll probably send it to you maybe or maybe that's why they pulled out of e3 because they knew i'd be there <laughs> knocking on the door um I feel like I often have minor things, but they're never on level 300 of a game that's impossible to get to level 300. You know what I mean? Like, it's never been that, that maddening. One of my, well, that's funny. One yeah, of the, my, this guy's like email should have been in all caps. If it was me, it would have been in all caps and like, ah, he was, he, yeah. he was taking it quite well for the amount of investment he had in. Yeah, he's doing great. I lost a, a pretty substantial sports um, Madden league, but uh, back on GameCube era so i've let it go but uh that was uh annoying <laughs> cool 
I, I should say, uh, as the resident destiny fanboy and, uh, my main character that I had, I have, I have three characters. My main character, somebody hacked into my account and deleted my main what? character. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like the character that probably had like, I would say over 300 hours in the game, what was gone, had, you know, some top tier loot. You, you can save stuff in your vault. So it wasn't, but yeah, I did lose. Um, I think it was cause I, it was around the time I started streaming on Twitch. I think somebody oh. just saw me, saw my account. Ooh. Yeah. But somebody deleted my main character. I made another one, but yeah, when, whenever like I talk to people and they say like, Oh, you're, you know, you claim to be a destiny fan. Like how many hours do you have in the game? I can oh. never like truthfully give them. Cause it's like, they, it deleted my main yeah, character. They, they did that. They, someone did uh, that to me too. I had a guy with all the best stuff, and uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't show it to you now sure, but, yeah, because yeah. it got I mean, deleted. Yeah. My girlfriend, she goes to a different school, but like, <laughs> I, I could show you a screenshot of someone else's. She, she, she's real. She's real. Uh, yeah. No, but uh, yeah, gone. gone. That is rough. It. Yeah, I had a. I had a. I actually had. I was streaming the moment I realized my character was gone. <laughs> And I like turned it off. Like I had this moment of like, I can't breathe. Cause I was like, I only have two characters to choose from. I was like, where's my third uh, one? Somebody, in the, somebody like, in the Twitch chat just writes, ha ha. And then yeah, that would have been, yeah. If, if I would have known who did it, like I at least maybe would have feel better. Cause then I could maybe, you know, stalk that person for the rest of their life. But yeah, I mean, this was at the time when destiny was a grind when getting specific stuff. And I had, uh, some some stuff that I'd worked really hard to get on that character. I eventually, you know, got, made another character and got all that stuff back, and now it's back to normal. But true cruelty—that is true I, cruelty. Yeah. yeah. Well, if it you want to send in uh, cues for us to a, you can always send them to dlcfeedback at gmail dot com. Uh, let's uh, move on now and carve out a little bit of tabletop time. Right now, right now. Hey, last week in Tabletop Time, Kelly told us about playing Mindflex, and I actually got several emails about that game. I want to read one of them to you. This was from Garrett. He said, hey, guys, I'm a longtime listener. Just want to say I love the show. Keep up the good work. Anyway, you guys talked about Mindflex on this week's show. I own and play this game quite regularly with my wife and seven-year-old son. I'm sad to hear you guys don't think it actually reads your mind. I'm being sarcastic because I always win the game when I play against my wife and son. I always thought and loudly gloated to them every time I would complete a maze before them that the obvious reason I won was my superior mind flex abilities and mind control. Anyway, yes, I do think the game is mostly random, mostly random ball movements from random fans that turn on. But my seven year old is convinced it's real. And I just like to see his face light up when the game is on. And he's positive that he just moved that ball with his mind. Keep up the great show. Uh, It's pretty funny. Uh, uh, we had fun playing, uh, some board games this week, Christian. I went over to, uh, Christian's place and, uh, had a lovely dinner that he made, uh, himself, which was very impressive. Uh, and then we played, uh, we played a game. We played a new game I hadn't played before, um, called Loop, Loop Inc., which is a time travel game. The idea behind this one is that you are working for a time travel time travel agency. So basically it's the future where time travel is possible. And there's this travel agency that will sell you on trips that will send you back in time to do cool things like hang out while they sign the declaration of independence or witness a fire in a 
cave uh, with cavemen or whatever. Silly stuff. Uh, and the idea is that you send your time machine back. You have to load it up with certain resources in order to be able to make specific trips. Uh, you send it back in time and you get points for taking your your uh, patrons on these cool back-in-time trips. The catch is that you then come back to the day you started and you do you repeat that day three times. So you get to do three actions each day, but the second and third day, you have to do the actions that you did the first and second times around in the same order because those already happened. So while you're uh, queuing you up- You pepper things in between those, but like right. if you went to A, B, C, when you get to day two, you can go A, X, Y, but then you'd have to go B, C. You have to get those- in the same order, and it uh, it messes you up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell me about what, what you felt. Like. It's a very unique idea, and I think it's a clever play on a time travel as a theme. Um, what what was your experience, Christian? I know you you did not win. I did not win. I uh, I lost horribly. I, I tested a rule, uh, or you know, when you're playing a game for the first time, I often am like, well, let's see what happens if I do this, and uh, big risk, and um, oops. <laughs> Uh, I sent my guy back and then I received a couple of big penalties because I was unable to fulfill the rest of my actions based on how the game was played out. Yeah, but if, it, you, it, if you have actions that were supposed to happen, right? So if you travel in time and you come back and you have to do these actions and there's because they were they already happened, they were supposed to happen. So you have to do them in the right order. If you're not able to execute those actions, you actually create a rift in the space time continuum, which causes massive negative points which christian did gleefully several times yes if you see a butterfly with like a dinosaur legs that i created that that. i'm sorry i'm so sorry the game the game is fun i think for me what i needed to wrap my head around i think all of us kind of came to terms with at the end is that this game everyone you'll have negative points where so many games you know the goal is just do well and never fail this game because of the time travel mechanic um, and the idea of, you know, the butterfly effect or back to the future, like you're going to mess things up. You will either mess things up or you will suffer some negative point consequences because, you know, you brought something back with you that you weren't supposed to. And, and I think that's fine. You can still win the game, but it's hard when you're sitting there plotting, like, I can't, I can't do anything perfectly. I can't, by the time you get to the third turn, you can't do anything you want the way you want to do it. You can still win, but you can't execute your beautiful plan yeah i'm and then sure the there's only- somebody that could do it could figure it out and, and plan ahead well enough to make it all work but uh it was sort of beyond us and it became much more like you say uh mitigating disaster rather than <laughs> doing anything positive yeah and then for me the only knock against the game is the what, what's the decision paralysis there's a paralysis, lot of like paralysis, yeah sitting there going i can't in between turns and it it's fun enough your first couple times through it because you know i'm laughing at you on in your your plight <laughs> but i think at uh repeated playings it could become com- uh, annoying and cumbersome to sit there and wait for you to try to analyze what you're going to do the the game has a lot more player interaction than i initially thought because stuff becomes scarce really fast so if another player is using something you really have to be conscious of of if they're using it because it'll be gone uh before you get a chance to grab it so um there is a lot more player interaction but yes it it does result in a lot of analysis process because because you have you know you have to do certain things and you're trying to figure out when to do those things, how to manage your thing and not put yourself in a bad position that you create rifts in the space time continuum. But 
yes, it, it, it is a bit of a brain burner and a bit bit thinky, this game. But I love how it uses that time travel thing. It's like, yeah, paradoxes are hard. And the fact that you forced yourself into this position by doing something that you have to repeat is pretty unique. And I think a really interesting game. Again, it's called Loop Inc., which is like Loop Incorporated. Um, and uh, you can find, I think it's less than 40 bucks, but pretty interesting game. All right, uh, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have our parting gift coming up, so de- definitely stay tuned for that. But uh, Anthony Tarmina, thank you so much again for being on our show. It's always great to have you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a fun chat. And now, Christian, you have to make me dinner. Yeah, he makes um, great dinners. Bring over games, and I will make dinner. But now I'm no longer going to do that. The dinners I make from now on will be at Jeff's place, and they will be VR dinners. That's true. VR dinners. Everybody gets a <laughs> VR dinner. Um, Anthony, tell us, tell the folks how they can keep up with your work this week. Okay, so uh, GameRant.com. I'm editor-in-chief for that site. So uh, anything basically with slash GameRant is where you can find stuff that we do. So GameRant.com, YouTube slash GameRant, Twitter slash GameRant, Facebook, all that stuff. Hopefully you follow all that stuff. Um, we're going to be doing a lot of coverage of The Division Uh I'm going to be covering it from the perspective of somebody who really liked Destiny, so hopefully that interests you. I'm going to try and stream it a lot, twitch.tv slash GameRant. And then if you want to just follow me, I'm a fun guy. Uh, it's at AntTormina, A-N-T-A-O-R-M-I-N-A. Uh, yeah, that's it. Very, very cool. Are you What um, platform are you playing The Division on? Um, I'm planning to play it on PS4 mainly, but I'm also going to get it on P- uh, PC just because I've seen some streams. It looks really nice. Well, I'm playing it on PC, so I would love to, uh, some buddies to play with. Absolutely. Uh, Christian is not going to be playing it on PC. No, yes, no, he is. No. He's going no, to. He's literally PC. not going to play it on PC. <laughs> you're, you're definitely going to play it on PC. <laughs> uh christian what do you got going uh, on i'm out of pocket most of the week i'll be in san diego on the 13th for a show at madhouse comedy club if you are in san diego and you want to go to that i think it's a 7 p.m start for that show then i um do a parenting podcast called department of parenting with chris quintos her and i uh pick a topic or a news article about parenting and then answer a listener question about parenting it is department of parenting a, a short whimsical take on on parenting issues you can check that out and then i am still you know twitching when i <laughs> twitching when i can uh streaming on twitch usually thursdays around 1 30 this week i will be out uh out of town so won't be able to but it is twitch.tv slash christian spicer i think that's uh that's probably good jeff what about you I got several shows for you to enjoy. Uh, if you like me on video, why not check out Tomorrow Daily on CNET.com? You can find that at TomorrowDaily.com. We had a really fun interview with a board game designer last week on the show who just happens to also be a major Hollywood actor who plays the weather wizard on The Flash. A uh, really fun interview. Uh, and this week we have uh, a pretty big interview that I can't spoil, but it's kind of a... Um, it's kind of a bucket list thing for me. I get to interview a really kind of famous, awesome person that I've always looked up to. So that's, that'll be fun. Uh, also, uh, listen to We Have Concerns. It's a comedy science show, 20-minute uh, episodes, really easy. You can find that at uh, wehaveconcerns.com. And we just had uh, Travis McElroy on as a guest. Uh, this today came out today. So check that out. It's a really fun episode. And um, also my, uh, my video and film review show called Slash Film. 
filmcast. You can find that uh, slash film.com or slash filmcast.com. All right, guys, let's do it. Let's give the people a parting gift. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Anthony, do you have a parting gift to get people through their week? I do. Um, I, I, for people who, you know, don't know me that well, I love collecting things and uh, I'm all about those subscription boxes. And I just this week got the mm-hmm. new uh, Legion of Collectors. It's the first box. It's the DC uh, box. Uh, it's so there's a Marvel box now. There's like a Star Wars box. There's there's boxes for basically anything. But this is the new DC box, and it was Batman v Superman themed. Uh, you obviously can't get that box, but I really liked what was inside it. If you love the Funko Pop figures, there's like an armored Batman, and then there was like a glow-in-the-dark Superman and Aquaman and a cool shirt. Um, so if, you, if you've if you been thinking about those subscription boxes and maybe you uh, are a DC fan, I'm sure they're, uh, they've, they haven't announced what the next theme is, but my, my guess is it's going to be something cool, maybe Flash-themed for the TV show. But I really liked it. I'd recommend that. Cool, man. How do you find that? Uh, I think it's just legionofcollectors.com. Legion of Collectors. Awesome. Christian, how about you? Probably not news to anybody, but uh, there's this little show on Netflix, and it's um, a really satirical approach about the presidency in a way that would never be reflected in real life. You know, nothing. This House of Cards (laughs) season four is on Netflix, and um, I find I'm halfway through it, and it's a return to form for me. I thought season three left a lot to be desired, Uh, and um, if you felt that way as well and have been avoiding season four, um, I am really, really enjoying it, and I would guess that you would as well. I watched up to episode six last night. Uh, episode four is it's good, crazy. Episode four, crazy. Uh, yeah, so 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 good. Hey, on that note, uh, I thought I'd use my parting gift to just advocate for people to register to vote. It's easy. It's simple. Uh, it's important. Uh, you're probably going to hear me talking about it a lot in the next couple of months. I'm going to get make you sick of it. Why not just do it now and uh, get it over with? You can register to vote so easily. All you got to do is go to USA.gov. Uh, if you're in the United States, it's so simple. Unless you're going to vote for Trump, then don't and bother. Really, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're going to vote for Trump, then <laughs> you're probably not listening to this show. But um, <laughs> no, seriously, it, having our voices heard, I know it's easy to be cynical. I really advocate for being less cynical and, just make your voice heard. You really can't affect change. I know it feels insignificant. You feel like uh, you're playing no man's sky and you're just this little speck in the universe, but guess what? Talk about being (laughs) cynical. Well, uh, you can, you can affect change. You can be the superhero in your universe and it it takes everybody doing it instead of, uh, you know, being lazy. It, It really is important. Just register to vote and then vote, vote, seriously, vote, uh, USA.gov is the website for that. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this episode of uh, DLC. Uh, Thanks to Anthony Termina and Christian Spicer. Thanks to uh, the people that made our, our bumpers, Sean Madigan, Patrick L. uh, Zero star who did the, the tabletop time one. I never remember to say thank you to zero star. Um, And uh, thank you for listening and downloading our show. Why not tell your friends about it? We do appreciate you helping get the word out. We'll see you next week. Until then, 
think about what you put out into the world, make it a better place. 